and welcome to Think Tech Hawaii. Today, we're going to have a continuation of an earlier conversation between me uh, and my friend Rory Fowler from Canada. Uh, we're going to talk about military justice in North America, at least the northern two-thirds of North America, uh, and some of the exciting and interesting things that have been going on in both countries. Good evening, Gene, and uh, and thanks again for inviting me back and for our conversation, for carrying on our conversation from a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I say good evening, and it's evening where we are. Uh, I suspect where this is being broadcast in Hawaii, uh, it's still in the early afternoon. So good right. evening and afternoon. It's great to be back uh, w with you, Rory. Um I should mention that the uh, moderator for our the, the Act One of this operetta, uh, uh, Dr. Ken Rogers, was unable to join us. But uh, I want to thank Ken publicly for uh, having moderated uh, so well the first installment, and also to mention that uh, the uh, the Godfather of Think Tech Hawaii, my dear brother Jay Fidel, is uh, currently in Singapore and on his way back to uh, the Sandwich Islands which is to say the state of Hawaii and uh, uh, think tech Hawaii viewers will of course, welcome him back. Aloha shirt and all. So with that by way of uh, introduction, uh, I want to ask you uh, a quick question, Rory. Uh, you're a, uh... okay. It'll be a quick question. And <laughs> with my track record, it won't be a quick answer, but there we go. Well, you never know. Uh, you're uh, you're a military justice maven uh, for many years. What's your favorite military justice movie? Oh, um, <laughs> it, it, it's that, that takes me by surprise because there are plenty of movies that I would characterize as not my favorite uh, movies because they are <laughs> so inaccurate. And right up there at the top. I mean, he puts 100% into every movie he makes. Um, but Tom Cruise and A Few Good Men. And I mentioned that because a good friend of mine at, at uh, law school, it was his favorite law or lawyer movie. Uh, and it's, it's among my least favorite as far as a depiction of the law. Um, it, it, it's entertaining, but it is so incorrect in so many ways. I would have to say, in a pinch, it's going to be the Kane mutiny, uh, and and it's the reason for that is because for me, and I know different people have different views about who the hero of that movie is, but for me, the hero of the movie, uh, not surprisingly, was the lawyer. So Jose Ferrer was phenomenal in that role, and it was realistic, and it depicts the morality of military law as much as the actual practice of the context. And, and that's why I really enjoy that movie. I mean, it was a superbly acted movie from, from everybody. Uh, but for me, it, it, the great thing about it is Ferrer was not the hero of the movie from a Hollywood perspective, but as far as I'm concerned, he was the hero of that movie. Right. Um, my favorite scene from the movie, uh, which I've actually... Uh, referred to uh, once or twice in in the defending courts martial is the very last scene. The Absolutely, very, the very yeah, last mine as well is uh, where I, I think uh, the lawyer uh, 
the, there's a big party at the hotel celebrating the collapse of Lieutenant Commander Quig on the witness stand and, uh, you know, the the acquittal and, and so forth. But the, he says he, he has a long um, a long bit of praise for the regulars who were in service making a pittance, you know, uh, before World War II, uh, who uh, rose to the occasion uh, after serving in great obscurity for, you know, the pre-war years. And uh, and then and then they all leave. And I, I've referred to this in argument uh, on sentencing, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, for the proposition that after this trial, nobody's going to be celebrating. There won't be a party at the hotel. Uh, and I, I don't know how uh, court martial members have uh, reacted when I've done this, but it but it it seemed to make sense to me. Uh, does it resonate for you? It, it, it does because he encapsulated the nature not just of military justice, but but when you look at criminal justice or even non criminal justice, when when you're adjudicating difficult facts. At the end of the day, with so many of these cases, nobody actually wins. It's a question of uh, mitigation of harm in so many ways. And for what it's worth, what I view that movie as representing is a triumph of the rule of law as opposed to a triumph of any one individual. And whenever the rule of law triumphs, there's going to be somebody who's going to get hurt. There's going to be somebody who's not going to be happy. And and uh, Ferrer's speech at the end really encapsulates the fact that morality in those sorts of circumstances is rarely, if ever, black and white. Uh, and, and certainly when I taught at Royal Military College, when I was teaching some basics of military law, there were certain movies that I used um, to convey certain concepts. Another one that I use is Breaker Morant, and Breaker Morant's an outstanding movie. And again... For me, the hero of that movie wasn't Breaker Moran. The hero of that movie was was the defense counsel. Uh, but they are effective tools in conveying to future officers uh, the nature of military justice and the fact that nothing is ever going to be black and white. And at the end of the day, it's a question of the quality of your judgment uh, and not just judgment of you know a court martial, but an officer's judgment in determining uh, the appropriate course of action, because it's never going to be the ideal course of action or the absolute correct course of action. It's about adjudicating uh, and determining the most efficient and the most meritorious course of action when you're choosing from among imperfect options. Right. And, you know, the thing that's always struck me about military justice, really from the very beginning of my involvement, was that even more than criminal proceedings in the civilian courts, uh, in military justice, and I've both prosecuted and defended, uh, in military justice, it's the individual on one side of the courtroom and the state on the other, which is always a fraught interaction. But it's heightened because of the elements of drama and ritual that are involved peculiarly in a military courtroom. People wear costumes called uniforms. They have particular ways of interacting with one another. Um, rank is always 
you know, a factor. It's always in the courtroom. It's inevitable. Uh, so th that that to me has always meant the military justice was uh, an easy target, not a target, but a, a, an easy subject to uh, use as the fodder for for a drama. Now, on uh, on the K mutiny. Uh, I, and he, let me be the first to use the time-honored phrase. I once had a case. <laughs> <laughs> I, a, I've had, I've been involved in a, a, a mutiny case. It was a, a, a racial episode uh, in the what early seventies, but um, but I actually had a case once that involved strawberries. <laughs> or ice cream, or strawberry ice cream, right out of the cane mutiny. It wasn't a court-martial, but uh, it was one of those personnel issues that, that come up from time to time. But I wanted to say this, uh, I, uh, not to overstate it, but I, I had a passing acquaintance with Herman Wouk, uh, and uh, he was quite an old man when I met him. He must have been in his 80s. Uh, which doesn't seem that old suddenly, but um, he he was a, a person of great dignity. And uh, his service in the U.S. Navy in World War II was obviously tremendously important to him. He was a junior officer. Uh, he served on a ship. And the name of the ship was the USS Zane. And that was, in fact, the model for the USS Kane. Uh, now, how much of what he depicts, he was a non-lawyer, by the way, he wasn't a lawyer. Uh, how much of what um, is depicted in the Kane mutiny, uh, both the book and the and the uh, play uh, and movie, uh, who knows? But he obviously had a real sense of of justice on the ground. So that's that's you've answered my question. Now are you going to ask me the same question? Are you? Are you? No, because I I think we already know the answer to that. I mean, well, unless well, you're going to tell. What do you think it, it, it is? What do you think? Well, it is? I, 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 think I think you're going to be wrong, my friend. Okay. Well, well, then, Gene, uh, to to turn the tables on you, what is <laughs> your uh, favorite military? And I'll say this: not court martial, but military law oriented movie absolutely i thought you'd never ask it's a jack nicholson movie called the last detail have you ever seen it i have indeed this was a fabulous movie uh in which jack nicholson is a uh, sort of cigar smoking bosun mate or master at arms whose job it is to convey a, a young man played by randy quaig uh, from Norfolk, Virginia, up through Washington and Boston to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, where the, the uh, U.S. Naval Brig was. And the uh, young man in question was was going to the brig for a few years for having stolen the contents of the charity box at the base chapel. Um, and I think I think my favorite scene in the movie occurs in in Washington. Uh, uh, Nicholson, his fellow brig chaser, take the young defender defendant uh, to uh, a bar near Union Station in Washington to buy him a beer. 
and they go in and it must be winter time and and uh you know they they order three beers and the bartender says well i need some id for the kid and nicholson says just give us the beer and the bartender says i told you i need some id for the kid and same thing happens again nicholson says look pal just give us the beer and the guy the bartender says look buddy if you don't get out of here right away i'm going to call the shore patrol whereupon nicholson opens his reefer his little blue pea coat pulls out the 45 that he's carrying slams it on the table and says and i'm going to sanitize this a little bit hey pal we are the blankety blank shore patrol <laughs> and of course the the very last scene and then we'll be done with this and we'll actually talk some law but the very last scene of the movie they finally get to portsmouth new hampshire to the brig and there's a like a marine first lieutenant as the watch officer and they hand this kid over to the brig where he's going to be for a few years and uh nicholson of course there's paperwork involved and nicholson hands this shaved tail lieutenant uh you know a, a set of orders seven or eight copies of the orders and um uh the lieutenant takes them and he's looking down and uh nicholson uh and 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 the lieutenant dismisses them you can leave now and uh nicholson who I think has a cold cigar stub in his mouth, says, uh, say, Lieutenant, you're supposed to pull a copy of those orders. <laughs> and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> it tells tells it all. All right, let's talk military justice. Um, so we talked in uh, Act One uh, of uh, what you ever what everything you ever wanted to know about military justice with Rory and Gene uh, about a range of topics. Um, what's going on in Canada right now in terms of law reform? Well, there's there's what I would characterize as the follow-on or the subsequent action following a variety of reviews, right? So we had. Uh, a couple of recent reviews. One was ad hoc, uh, and that was the review by uh, former Supreme Court of Canada uh, Justice Louise Arbour, and that was specifically about sexual misconduct. It was an ad hoc review. Um, certainly not everybody was critical of it. When I've had some critical hoc, things to say they, about it. When you say ad hoc, you mean as opposed to one of the periodic schedules? That's right. Right. It, it it wasn't required under statute. It was simply convened by the minister, uh, the minister using at the time his because it was it was a different minister uh, statutory powers for the direction uh, of the uh, national defense and the armed forces uh, essentially commissioned a review led by former Supreme Court of Canada Justice Louise Arbour. Uh, and she examined aspects of sexual misconduct and the Canadian forces response to sexual misconduct. So that was an ad hoc review. More or less contemporaneous, although he began his review uh, at a different time and he concluded his review uh, after uh, Justice Arbour did. 
uh, former Supreme Court of Canada Justice Morris Fish was conducting uh, a review that's required now every seven years by virtue of Section 273.601 of the National Defense Act. So that used to be a review every five years. So the first two reviews were conducted or were supposed to have been conducted every five years. The second one was was late. So the first review, and this was dates back to 1998 with Bill C-25. The first review was done in 2003 by the late Chief Justice Antonio Lemaire. Uh, and the subsequent review was done by uh, Associate Chief Justice of Ontario, uh, Patrick Lesage. Uh, and his review uh, was a little bit late and not quite as beefy as that by the late Chief Justice's, uh, Chief Justice uh, Antonio Lemaire. And so the third review uh, that was conducted by virtue of the National Defense Act was by Justice Fish. Now, there's a couple of differences. The first two reviews by Chief Justice Lemaire and Justice Lesage were technically limited to Bill C-25. They weren't reviews of the entire National Defense Act. Now, nothing barred them from being a review of the National Defense Act, but they generally focused only on those elements of Bill C-25, which was the last time we had significant reform um, until recently of the Code of Service Discipline under the National Defense Act. Justice Fish's review under Section 273.601 of the National Defense Act was a review of the entire National Defense Act. Now, there were certain things that they focused on. Clearly, Code of Service Discipline was one of the big items. Uh, military policing was another item. The grievance process was another item. Uh, and that was required... So the minister was obliged under the National Defense Act to convene that review. At about the same time or shortly after those reviews were conducted, we finally implemented significant portions of Bill C-77, which was first enacted in 2019. Uh, but many of the provisions were not that, did not come into force right away. Bill, Sorry. Right. That bill didn't get royal assent or, or it wasn't implemented. No. For a long time. That's right. So it got royal assent in the summer of 2019, very shortly after it was enacted. But there were uh, uh, several provisions that would only come into force, which is the term used here, um, upon the enactment of certain regulations, including uh, the so-called Victims' Bill of Rights, uh, which was enacted to parallel the Victims' Bill of Rights uh, in the civilian criminal justice system under the Criminal Code of Canada. Now, the reality is there's a great many things in the Victims' Bill of Rights that were already being done as a matter of policy, uh, but were not being done because, because they were obligatory. And so on the 20th of June, 2022, significant portions of Bill C-77 finally came into force. And that happened shortly after Justice Arbour tabled her report or provided her report to the minister, and shortly after uh, Justice Fish provided his to the minister. Right. So what you have, I'm just, you know, listening to your account, what you have is a kind of cascade of reforms uh, so that the next stage of reform is already beginning maybe shortly after or even before the last stage has been digested by lawmakers and the, the management, which uh, just as a as a friendly observer, uh, strikes me as uh, highly inefficient and calculated to create training problems and compliance issues. Yeah, that that's a that's a that's a friendly way of putting it. 
<laughs> because the reality, the, the the reality is there were significant reforms and and not the least of which. And for me, the the implementation of the Victims' Bill of Rights, fair enough. But for me, the big thing was the introduction of a new summary justice system, which is markedly different than the one we had before, and in effect, completely separate now from our court-martial process. So before the 20th of June, 2022, we had a two-tiered military justice process with summary, summary trials representing 95% of, of um, the trials relating to offenses under the Code of Service Discipline and courts martial. Uh, and one of the saving graces of the summary justice system, which is conducted before people who aren't remotely independent, was the option in some cases to elect trial by court martial, although quite frankly, many in the chain of command would try and shoehorn offenses into five specific offenses for which there was no election for court martial. And we'll return to that in a second. Um, as of the 20th of June, uh, 2022, there are no longer summary trials, although there were some summary trials conducted after the 20th of June relating to allegations that predated that date. So right. any any vestigial uh, or vestiges of, of offenses uh, that predate that time could be dealt with uh, by summary trial. Can I, uh, although can I, after a year, th th there won't be jurisdiction for those anymore. Can a member of the Canadian Armed Forces say, you know, Captain, I I just I I want to have a jury. I want to have this thing go to court. Uh, I not that I don't trust you. I just would rather have you know th this is a serious charge that you've laid against me here. I, I'd like to uh, to have a real trial. Can a member not now? Not now. So before uh, under our summary trial process, if an individual was charged with an offense for which there was an election. The individual could elect trial before court martial. Now that opens up a broader scope of powers of punishment, but the reality is, if it's a low-level offense, the likelihood of a significant sentence, even if found guilty, isn't significant, and at least they get an independent trier fact who actually understands the law. But to some extent, you're rolling the dice. To some extent, you to, you to an extent. Yeah. But if if I were ever advising, and I have, if if I were ever advising an individual, um, I would generally tell them. Unless you're planning on pleading guilty or admitting to the particulars of the charge, your best bet is a trial by court-martial. There was one matter, actually, before I became a lawyer when I was an assisting officer, back when I was an infantry officer. And it was so clear that the presiding officer was going to make a hash of it because he'd already made several mistakes. Uh, I had actually told the accused, uh, who was a warrant officer, um, go with the summary trial because he's 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 going to mess it up. Not exactly my words that I used, but... And, and sure enough, the presiding officer made, made a cocked hat, cocked hat of it. It was it was just a dog's breakfast. Unfortunately, the now the cocked hat, I mean, the, the imagery is getting away from us here. <laughs> so now the, the, the challenge now is if somebody is facing an allegation uh, that is going to be dealt with under the summary system, it's a completely separate system. So now we've got summary hearings which are used to preside over allegations of infractions. These are non-penal offenses. And to a certain extent, it's word games. But if somebody is charged with a service infraction, there is no election for court-martial. It will only be dealt with by summary hearing. 
And the burden of proof is balance of probabilities, which well, quite frankly, most members of the chain of command do not actually understand. They don't so, understand that. Yeah, go ahead, Gene. Yeah, I just want to ask you a question. Uh, and by the way, I the, I see the sands of time, the sands on the on the uh, clock are running out. But very, very quickly, uh, suppose suppose you had a, a possession of marijuana charge. Could that be charged either summarily or in an honest to Pete court martial? Uh, it wouldn't be tried at all because marijuana is not prohibited in Canada ah. now. <laughs> Let's, 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 let's change it. So let's because it, it's still it's still an intoxicant or a stupefiant to be more more precise. Oh boy. So there, there are still prohibitions, for instance, against smoking marijuana because it affects you. It's like alcohol. Sure. You can't smoke sure. marijuana eight hours or 12 hours before duty. So let's say somebody is charged with a service infraction for contravening the DAOD on marijuana, which if memory serves, it's 9003-1. Uh, and they're charged uh, uh, with a service infraction for doing so. There's no election for court-martial. It won't give rise to a criminal offense. But here's the thing. This is what's particularly interesting. Nor does it create what, what my friends in the United States would call double jeopardy. Because they aren't offenses, if you were tried and prosecuted under the summary justice process, so a summary hearing, that doesn't bar subsequently being charged with a code of service discipline offense and tried at court martial. And right. so it's conceivable under the current regime that if somebody was not happy with that outcome, they could then lay the charge as an offense, pursuant to, for example, Section 129 of the National Defense Act, which Justice Fish was not massively enamored with in his in his uh, independent review, and be tried at court martial, notwithstanding uh, that you were tried by a summary hearing for the service infraction. What's more, it's not yet fully resolved the extent to which you can rely on any testimony or any statements made in the conduct of the summary hearing. Where where uh, no are involved i imagine yes what's that are there lawyers involved in summary proceedings well an individual can consult a lawyer but there's no right to be represented by a lawyer and quite frankly most officers conducting summary hearings will refuse to permit somebody to have their lawyer present yeah rory uh i i hate to say this but our time is up but this has been great i think we have to do this again and again and again until we get it right I want to thank you on behalf of Think Tech Hawaii. Uh, the uh, maitre d', uh, Jay Fidel, will be back presently, and uh, I'm sure we'll hear from him. I hope it, I hope we get a good report and a high grade. If you like the show, tell Jay. Uh, otherwise, uh, best wishes to everybody for the holiday season and, um, uh, and an, a, a nice, safe spring. Uh, thanks very much, Rory. See you soon. See you, John. See you, Gene. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com.
Mahalo. 